Thank you, Paul and Leslie. Good to be with you today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, we have been in Romans chapter 12 for a couple of weeks, and uh, I'd like to go to Romans chapter 8. We'll read the first 13 verses today. Romans chapter 8, beginning now at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts for what the Spirit accomplished. Thank you, Father, for salvation which was according to your will through the work of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we would ask that these moments that you've given to us would be an opportunity for us to just immerse ourselves, to saturate our souls, Father, with the Word. We would ask that you would guide our minds, guide our thoughts, and may these moments we have with you be splendid. May they be beyond awesome because we are communing with the all-sovereign God. We would ask, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today, that He would take the Word, take it to the innermost part of who we are, and as a result, we know that we can count on the fact that You love us too much to leave us the same, but to change us. And change us, we ask You will. And now, Father, we look with anticipation to this passage of Scripture in your blessed and holy word as you guide and direct us in truth. Again, we pause to thank you as we kneel at your feet in humility with thanksgiving. And we honor you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Uh, the last, actually, it's, uh, we've been kind of on a journey that's uh, taken us to various places, but uh, it's been one that has included uh, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at uh, walking in the Holy Spirit, um, being, uh, be, being kept filled with the Spirit, as it said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We've been talking about worshiping God. Last week we talked about um, worshiping with the gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit has administered to us when you've become a Christian, a believer in Christ, that is to trust Him, God, and the grace that He's given us through faith. And ultimately, we are, in, we are indebted, if you will, as it's said in Romans chapter 12, it's our, because of the mercies of God, it's our reasonable service or our reasonable worship. And uh, this week as I was, I guess, just thinking and preparing and uh, wondering where God wants to take us next, uh, Romans chapter 8 is probably a passage that um, it, it would be impossible to, to mine the depths of it for us to see it in its fullest part, understanding what the nuggets of truth, you'll, you'll never, what I'm saying is you'll never get it all. It's so, it's so immense. And chapter 8 of Romans is one of us that we need to understand even more thoroughly. And it talks about uh, the power of the Spirit. Um, as I even prayed today, there's something that, and it's not new, I'm sure of that, but the sense of all three of the personages of, of, of the Trinity, of God the Father, He is you're, you're here today, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, it's because of the will of the Father. He designed before the foundation of the world to design and to have a plan in place that knowing before man sinned that we would need a Savior. And rather than drop-kicking us and leaving us kicked by the side of the road, it was His will to design a perfect plan of salvation to renew, to regather, to rejoin what has been lost. And that was accomplished through the work of the Son. And all of that, actually, we're going to take some time today. I, I'm not even sure we're going to go exactly, but one of the things that it's interesting is we, it's easy for us to grasp the, the plan, the will of the Father. Salvation is from God. It's the, the plan of the Father. And then seeing that the work was accomplished in the Son, we sometimes forget about where all the power came from. Well, wait a minute, that's God. Yes, it is, and it's the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at today just a facet of, at least today, of looking at how the power of the Holy Spirit was magnanimously pictured and modeled in Jesus Christ himself, which we sometimes miss that because we don't look at it from that perspective. But we always talk about modeling Christ, but he's also a model for us to see how was the Spirit used and identified in Christ. We can look at him as a model of how we can incorporate the Holy Spirit and the power of him within our own lives. And I'm telling you, chapter 8 of Romans, it is amazing what the Spirit is doing for you if you've trusted Christ. Uh, chapter 8, verse 1 uh, I remember moving to uh, Paradise Valley a number of years ago. It had probably been in 1979. And the pastor at that time, uh, I think he's actually in Georgia, uh, Pastor Stan Carter. He was, and I was in a, they had, that, there was a time when I was younger, right? <laughs> and there was a college-age group, and it was actually fairly aggressive. And there was probably, I'm going to say, 20 to 30 that were in that class. And it was a great time for me just being mentored by this man of God. And I still remember that his favorite verse 
which has literally become mine as well. Not because it was his, but as you understand the magnitude of what's at risk or what's at benefit is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, if there's nothing else in the Bible, I would be okay with that. Because there's a whole lot of stuff in chapters 1, 2, and 3, particularly in Romans, that talks about a whole lot of condemning and a whole lot of condemnation that we as humans are worthy of receiving. (laughs) And to know in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. And somebody needs to say amen, and we're not going to go on. Because that's what, actually, I think, Ernie, you did, didn't you? Absolutely. Well, say it again. It won't hurt anything, right? But that's an amazing thing when we can capture that, when we can capture that. Because that will change the whole dynamic of what comes at you, the onslaughts of temptation, the onslaughts of sin, the things that work from the outside in trying to conform you to the societal um, challenges. When we know, because of what's happened on the inside, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, again, you know me well enough to say, well, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 7. And Paul is being, I would have to say, extraordinarily honest with us. He is, and, and, and again, for I would even say the Roman believers, that those in that church of Rome would, would have had a tremendously high esteem for Paul, the apostle. I mean, he, and he earned it, by the way. He was a man of God. There wasn't any situation of which he really would have been fearful to be into because he trusted God at, at an utmost level. He was a man of courage. He was a man of incredible insight in following and obeying God. But I, I want you to see, and it's a little bit hard to follow a little bit, just the way it's written in the King James, but it's amazing the struggle that Paul, just like all of us in this room today, And all of us outside of the room here today in the entire world that have trusted Christ, when you trust Christ, you're all of a sudden aware of something called sin at an utmost level. Now, if you do not trust Christ, there really is no battle. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that we're dead in trespasses and sins. We, We don't even know anything's going on. And, you know, it's the Holy Spirit. This is just an aside, but literally the only way that you could know that sin was a big, fat problem, other than to analyze and to stand by, wait, there are obituaries in the paper. There is passing away. There is no one that gets through this life, so there's an ultimate problem, but you really don't put it all together. But it's the Holy Spirit and His ministry that literally brings us to a point of conviction and of understanding of a need of a Savior because of sin. And think of that. If we, what, what if you didn't even have that part? In fact, that's one of the most frightening things for me to think about as the tribulation is coming. That period of time in which the church will be called out, and it's described for us. We're not going to go there today, but in the Thessalon, uh, letter to the Thessalonians, it's described as saying that the restrainer, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will be removed. I cannot imagine how horrifying that will be with society without the Holy Spirit to restrain and to refrain evil and wickedness. Can you imagine? Don't even try. Don't even try. Short of God intervening through the 
144,000 witnesses. Those that are called specifically to guide people to himself under a time of the Jews being, I'm going to say, reuniting with God. That seven years is to regain what they have really literally only been a remnant in the time of the Gentiles. But to think the Holy Spirit will really not be here. And then I hear people say, well, after the rapture, then I'll know it's taken place and then I'll accept Christ. No, you probably won't. Because if you're not getting it now, <laughs> you're probably not, not... Again, I'm not trying to be judgmental in saying that there's no way because there are those that will be saved in that time frame. But I cannot imagine how difficult it will be. And what we want to do for the next, I'm going to say several weeks. I don't know why I'm saying that, but at least for a while, I want to look at the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit, which sometimes goes uncapsulized. It's, it's something that's just over the sense of the Godhead, and yet the power of the Holy Spirit is amazing in what he gets accomplished. And the Spirit is a he. Okay, so let's get started. Uh, let's go back. Where was I going to go back? I think I told you. Romans chapter 7. Now, hang on. Uh, Paul is being extraordinarily honest with it. In verse 14, he says this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I would just like to stop for a moment. He, as he moves on here, he's going to be talking about the law and he's going to be talking about the flesh. Flesh sometimes is easier for me to get a go if I just think of humanness. That's what the flesh is. It's our humanness. It's, it's the outside of us that isn't saved. <laughs> and if anyone you doubt that, uh, that it, I'll tell you what, just, just go out and live life and it's amazing how the flesh, the humanness, can just jump out there and do really <laughs> stupid stuff unless you allow the Spirit to reel it back in. So let's keep going now. Let's watch and listen. As Paul is speaking to these Romans, he says, uh, verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not... For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Now, that sounds confusing, doesn't it? But what he wants to do, what his... Now, again, keeping in mind, we're not... There have been some that have felt this is a picture of an unbeliever. I do not believe that for a second. An unbeliever would not have a battle going on in their mind between sin and righteousness. A sinner is dead in trespasses and sins, and they can only have a vent or a bent toward... Sin, that's what sinners do. Can't do what they want. That's a, yeah, exactly. And actually can't even not do what, the sin, what sin they don't want to do. If you followed that, maybe you didn't. But consequently, someone that's not been regenerated, not, that's not been saved, they can't, they can't stop doing the things of, of sin. They, they're owned by it. They're owned. They're dead. Someone has said, uh, this was at a college. I can't remember who, where I read this this week. Um, anyway, it, it goes like this. this. This young person said, you know, you talk about the weight of sin. What is it, 10 pounds? Is it 20 pounds? Is it 100 pounds? I don't feel the weight of sin. <laughs> and this, the guy that was, that was uh, I'm going to say just there, right? And he thought for a moment and he said, well, uh, how much weight does a dead person feel? Well, of course, nothing. <laughs> it's pretty loud, isn't it? It's pretty loud. But that's exactly true. See, and if you're not conditioned, if you're not alive or awake to feel it, you don't even know that you're lost 
And there again, I want to again point to this, how magnanimous the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to literally have the love to convict us of sin we're really not even aware of. That's why the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, as it's declared, uh, as you hear that, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the power in that, that the Spirit uses to, to bring someone to Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that does that. And we sometimes don't give the credit where it's due. But let's keep going. As you've noticed, this could be a long session. We may not get very far today even. But Romans chapter 7, now verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that what I would not, it is no more that I that no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would be when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He is being extraordinarily, and I'm so happy that that's there. Wouldn't you feel a little bit when you have those days where you succumb to sin? Then you just say, oh, I'm the only loser in the world. Because that's what Satan's whispering in your ear. You're a loser. You're the only one that's ever done something so stupid. Right? Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. Chocolate every day. Yeah. <laughs> the sinfulness of chocolate. No. But, but thinking now that literally this passage of Scripture really allows Paul then to move into something that allows us to get a flavor of the power of the Holy Spirit. In all of this, yes, it's because of what Jesus Christ, the, the, the uh, I'm sorry, oh, missed it. The, um, the work of Jesus Christ is why now that the Holy Spirit can appropriate or using his power to impute, we're going to talk about that word in a little bit, the righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to uh, our passage. And uh, I think it would be just for a moment now. Uh, that's okay. Let, let, let's start in a couple verses. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now in the King James, the last part of that verse says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now in the older manuscripts, that, that's not there. And that bothered me for a little bit. You know, why is that there? Uh, it would seem that a scribe probably just jot that in. Because if you look in verse 4, same chapter, look at this. He says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, that's where it belongs is right there. And it's perfect how it fits. But to have no condemnation that those that are in Christ Jesus is amazing. Now, watch verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, we sometimes miss the spirit part of that. But quite honestly, we are free from the law of sin and death because the Holy Spirit 
The spirit of life in Christ is what empowers us to be in that position. Now, he does it by becoming, as Christ bore our penalty, the Holy Spirit makes us into Christ. He forms... In fact, maybe let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. <clears throat> oh, actually, I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. Let's do it anyway right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. For he hath made him, that's Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, to be sin for us. He made Jesus to be sin for us who know no sin. That's why his sacrifice was perfect. It was good enough that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That, that verse, let's talk about that for a moment because that's where we have the sense of imputation. How many of you had an account that was imputed this week? And you think of a situation, how do you use impute? Is that a word that you use this week? Anybody? Anybody use the word impute? Uh, just for the record, no one has raised their hands. It's not a common concept, is it? I, I walk, when's I walk into Napa, I, I'd rather have that you would impute my account to Paul Kramer's account. Amen. Amen. <laughs> hey, Ernie, you're on my team. I'll pay you afterwards. Now, what would I, now by the way, that, that would be a proper usage of that particular term. And what would it do to Paul? I'm going to go ahead and just take a shot at this, that our shop uses a whole lot more parts from Napa than Paul Kramer does. So the chances of my account being imputed to his would be to his disadvantage. Because literally what would it take? It would take my account and it would impute it or put it on the account of Paul Kramer. And that's a bad thing for you. (laughs) I like Ernie a lot. (laughs) But imputing is to take something and put it in account. Now what happened is we actually have a switcheroo. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's the best switcheroo that can ever happen. Because your sin, and there's not a person that has ever lived outside of Jesus Christ that has been sinless. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us that. When Adam and Eve sinned, every single person after that had within them. In fact, do you mind? Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 is one you should have really memorized. In your, uh, someone is asking about where sin comes from and where death comes from. If they're wondering about evolution, all of those first, There's so many things that are answered in verse 12 of chapter 5 of Romans. Let's go there for a moment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. And there's so much in this chapter. I know I'm just picking out a verse, but watch it develop now. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Sin came through Adam. And death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that... All have sinned. Okay? Lots of things being said there. Anybody talks about evolution? You can tell them it's hogwash. Because when did sin enter the world? After man sinned. When did death enter? After sin. Ah, that's a problem for evolution, isn't it? The Bible's very clear. Theistic (laughs) evolution? That, there's a French word for that. Baloney. (laughs) Oh, man, right? Now, where did I, before I went to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, what did I do that? What were we doing next? Louder? Imputing, okay, imputing. Um, What the world? Lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, 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 thank you. That did it. That did it. Switcheroo. It'll work. It'll work. Okay, so we got sin. 
That was my point. Thank you so much. Every one of us in this room. So we're just going to make this is our little world. Our little planet is right here amongst you. There's not one person in this room that is not a sinner. Got it? That's a problem. That's a really big problem. Because God is holy and just and righteous and short of perfection. He can't offer us. He can't sell it because he's just eternal life. We're in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. But by God's will and Jesus' work and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit imputes our sin, our account, my account at Napa, to Paul Kramer. My sin went to Jesus' account. (laughs) Praise God is right. And it even got better. Not only did my account say zero now, God did one better. In fact, the Holy Spirit. I want to make sure that we understand. It was the Spirit that imputed these balances, these accounts. He imputed all of Christ's righteousness into my account and to your account. That is the best switcheroo, and I love that word. If anyone wants to, that wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that is the greatest switcheroo of all time. Amen. And it's not just a trade, because I want you to mark this. It wasn't just a trade out. Jesus Christ paid for that. Why did Jesus have to live 33 years? To literally prove that he was pure and righteous and sinless and perfect. Because that's how the Holy Spirit could impute his righteousness because he earned it into my account. And then he bore my sin, my sin, and your sin on Calvary's tree. That's what he wore. Just contemplate that for a second. And do you know who did that imputation? The Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit did that work. Wow. Whoa. Let's look at a couple of verses in the sense of... Actually, uh, you're still in Romans. Turn back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Let's talk about the law for a second. Uh, some have, sometimes we almost have a bad connotation toward the law, and that is not true. In fact, before you do that... I, how did, did you get there? Turn back. It's just a, it, was a, it was a... That was a little pop quiz and you're there. But go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 12. And let's watch what Paul says before describing this honesty session of him being vulnerable to the battle between good and evil. Verse 12 of Romans chapter 7. Wherefore the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. Mark that. that you, you need to understand. See, sometimes we're in, well, the law is almost because we can't be saved by it then it's kind of the enemy. No, 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 no. What makes you guilty at Silver Star if you're driving 50 miles an hour? Has anyone done that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That's a sneaky one. You know, I'm just, you just cruise through there and Silver Star, that is a spot in the road, right? You guys are smiling. Okay. But don't admit to anything. And, and sometimes I've, I've exceeded the, what is the speed limit there? 35. 30, thank you for saying that. Yes. Very good. I've been warned a time or two by a very nice... <laughs> oh, Leroy. Now, he wasn't really all that nice sometimes. He was very vocal, wasn't he? You, and everybody knows who Leroy is. If you're listening by tape, you don't know who Leroy is, but Leroy was a resident of Silver Star. Of, uh, of Silver Star. And, and he really took that seriously. He believed that he was the 
officer of traffic control in Silver Star, and he would come out and wave his cane at you, right? <laughs> wave, wave it down. But, but all, all of that, let's get back to this. Quite honestly, if there was no speed limit sign there, what would you be guilty of? Nothing. If there's no law posted there, you're good. You're good to go. Do you see what the law's purpose is? Just to show we're sinners. Oh. Now, unless you say, well, if there's no law. Oh, but see, there's a law written within our hearts. In fact, an atheist, someone that does not believe in God for anything, for any reason of any kind. You know what? That one thing they're pretty, they're pretty basic about. They don't want to be killed and they don't want to be robbed. Where does that come from? That's a good question for them too, isn't it? Uh, well, it's just the right thing to do. Why is it right? Well, they don't have an answer because they have no God. They have no standard. They have no absolute truth. The law is good and holy and just. Now, of course, we just use a traffic law. God's law is not subject to any sense of variation. It's perfect. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go back to, um, I think I took you to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law... There shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's only literally to show you that you need a Savior. The law is powerless. I'm going to just say a few things about the law. It is powerless. There is absolutely no power in the law in the sense of being saved by it. There's a lot of power in the law in the sense of condemning you. Now, that sign at Silver Star, that's the law. It's 35. You know what? The law is also merciless. Doesn't care who you are. Doesn't care if you just didn't notice the sign. It's merciless. It's powerless. It's of no help. Do you know the other thing I thought about this? There is no energizing capability. There's nothing that I can suck or take out of the law that gives me any energy whatsoever. Now, why am I saying that? There's a whole lot of people today trying to appease through the sense of religion, trying to reach up to God through good works. There is no energy. There is no connection. You are on the wrong frequency if you are trying to reach up to God through any kind of works. Because James 2.10, he who has offended it in the law in one point is guilty of all. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which we just read. It can only show us sin. Let's look, go, go back to John chapter 3 and verse 3. And we want to look at something that uh, described for us in the sense of the beginning of life. In the sense of spiritual life. Uh, John chapter 3, and this is the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee. In verse 1 it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, capital S, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And essentially he's saying that the Spirit is what gives us life. That is the power that gives you life. That is the power that places you into Jesus Christ. Again, the power of the Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 22. Watch this. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the, say it, spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, to see that you love one another with pure heart, fervent. Did you see what was right in the middle of the whole thing in the sense of power? The Spirit. He's the one that has literally allowed you to obey the truth. The power of the Spirit. Let's take a little bit of a parenthesis and let's look for a moment at the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Now, verses 12 and 13 are really our focus, which we probably won't even get there today, of Romans chapter 8. But let's for a moment think of the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Because as I said a few moments ago, um, the more that we can see and model Jesus Christ, the more effective we are in our own walk. In our own, if we can focus on Jesus, would you not agree? It allows us to see more clearly how we should walk in this world. So with that in mind, let's start literally from the beginning. As someone said that the Spirit empowered Jesus from the womb to the tomb to the throne. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and uh, the angel is coming to a very young Mary. It's thought that she could have been as young as a 13 or 14-year-old. Luke chapter 1. I'm in Matthew. I'll be there in a second. Luke chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 26 is where we'll pick up the account. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women." And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be, as you could only imagine. The woman, I'm sorry, and then the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Doesn't that sound awesome? Uh, Mary got hooked up on the very front end of this thing, and she has a question. It makes so much sense. Uh, Verse 34, Then Mary said on the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? I'm a virgin. How can this possibly happen? That's a valid question, isn't it? Now watch what the angel says. Uh, Verse 35, the angel answered and said unto her, Oh, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit at the very outset of Jesus' human nature, if you will, 
was made possible by the Holy Spirit. I wonder what Mary, I wonder what Mary was thinking right now. I still have questions. <laughs> right? I still have questions. Let's keep going. Behold, thy, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. This is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. That was what Mary heard. That's what Mary heard. Not that with God, nothing is... How many times do you need to hear that in your week that goes on and on and on? And it's, it's just like, ah! Just circle verse 37 of chapter 1 of Luke and remind yourself with God, nothing is impossible. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And you see, that was good enough for her. Did you see that? That was good enough. Good enough. Good enough. Watch now. And Mary arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered in the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you, you notice how active the Holy Ghost is? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a lot going on. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. We'll watch now. There's not a, we, this, is, this is almost what we would call the silent years, as, if you will. But I, let's read it from verse 40. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. It just talks in general terms, but we'll go back to something and it'll show us where this happened. Um, the child and the child grew, speaking of Jesus Christ, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, and the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem. Seek. Now, now, just for a second, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was kind of a pilgrimage to a, to a feast. Okay? And Jesus was 12. And they're in the city. And it's and they're going to head back. Now, most 12-year-olds are probably part of the company. The group, that's the group that came from the same place. And they just thought he was somewhere playing with kids. Right? And they go a day's journey. Can you imagine how happy Joseph and Mary are at this point? <laughs> Finding out Jesus is not with them? Oh, my goodness. Right? Now, actually, without... Where, where was it, Lisa, that we left... Our middle son. I think we left him in church in Cardwell and drove home, didn't we, before we figured out he was gone? Yeah. That's, so it can happen. It can happen. And so we were really good about one, two, three, four, five. If you, got to, if you couldn't get to five, start looking for him, right? But at any rate, they found out Jesus wasn't with them. He wasn't there. So they go back, and I'm sure a little bit upset because watch as the story continues. It came to pass... That after three days, now I'd be nervous if I was a parent at this point, right? What happened to my Jesus? They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, that's the smarty pantses, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding. And this is a 12-year-old. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said, son, why have you done this to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. And they were. Can you imagine three days without your oldest, your oldest child? Of which, again, now Mary, is. remember, she pondered those things? All the angels said? Can you imagine right now that third day in? And, and the angel had said that he was going to be called Jesus. And he would have, you know, all of these neat things about him. We've lost the kid. Where's he at? And she's, you can tell a little bit of frustration, but keep going. Now, he, look what he says. 
He said unto them, how is it that you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business, capital F? I got to be here. This is where it's at. I'm 12. It doesn't matter. This is my father. You see, he's starting to understand all of the things that he's here for. Isn't that great? Now, keep going. And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. They didn't have a clue what this kid was talking about, right? And he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all of these sayings in her heart. And watch verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah was very, and this was written hundreds of years previous, Isaiah chapter 11. And let's look at verse 1. We'll start in verse 1. This is a, a prediction or a prophecy about the Messiah, about this one known as Jesus Christ now that we've looked at in Luke. It says in Isaiah chapter 11, watch carefully, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's exactly what the angel had told, had told uh, Mary, that he would come after his father David's kingdom. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Okay. And watch verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit that's on Jesus. See, have you ever thought of that? I thought Jesus was God. No, but the Holy Spirit is what empowered Jesus Christ. And I do mean that word. He empowered Jesus Christ. Back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Let's watch continuation now in Jesus' life. Mark chapter 1 and verse 10. We'll start in verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the, in the Jordan. He was probably about 30 years old at this point. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit, capital S, like a dove. Now, it was not a dove like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the capital S spirit driveth him into lotus. Take it one step at a time. Now, wait a minute. I thought, Larry, you just read in Isaiah chapter 11 that the spirit was upon the Messiah, upon Jesus Christ. And here he's baptized. And then it's like this, like a dove, but it wasn't a dove. I want to make sure it was not a dove. If you have a dove in your house and you call it the Holy Spirit, whatever, but it's not that way. It's like a dove. And it descended. What was the purpose of that? For approval or authentication. The Spirit was already on him. It was for the people that were there watching this baptism to say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, did you also see what happened? We read in verse 12. The Spirit is what drove him, Jesus, to the wilderness for 40 days with nothing to eat. What? Why? Let's keep going. Oh, actually, we're going to have to go to a different chapter, aren't we? Let's go to Luke. Oh, we can go to Matthew for a moment. Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And let's read a different account. Verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. He's, he's being led by the Spirit. Uh, is that what we're being asked to do? Did you see where the Spirit led Jesus? This doesn't sound good, does it? He led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he was fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. That would be a true statement. 
And then tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be, fed, be made bread. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory of them. Saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Where do you think the word of God came into Jesus' mind to say those things that thwarted Satan's temptations? From the Spirit, just like us today just like us today. That's why you need to immerse yourself. That's why you need to saturate yourself in the Word of God because that's just like the apostles. They were said, you know, I mean, the apostles, they're, they're, they were fishermen. They were, just, they were just ordinary kind of guys, just like us. And you know what? It was always said, don't worry about what you say. The Spirit will tell you what to say. Just like Jesus. Isn't that cool? Let's keep going. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Or wait, I've got one more maybe. I'm going to look on the way through on Luke. I'll see if this is the same. Luke chapter 4. Um, bum, 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 bum. Oh, yeah, look at this. This is another. Now watch. Um, Luke chapter 4. I just want to continue to show you. We're not going to everyone, obviously, but we're showing the impact and the power of the Spirit in Jesus' own life on the earth. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit... Into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. And you say, Whoa, what are we doing in Acts? Well, watch, it's described um, this event of how Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. This is a wonderful verse. Preaching of Peter. Verse 38. Now we're jumping right in the middle of his sermon, but that's okay. Well, starting verse 37, uh, Acts chapter 10. That, the, that word I say you know, which was published throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So you always see the Holy Ghost with power. The Holy Spirit is not powerless. It is the power that God is, is really accentuating comes through the Holy Spirit. You find it all through Scripture. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that literally was on Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll finish the verse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Turn to Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. Now, this, we could go to other passages, but it's interesting. Um, I think you'll, you'll catch it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32. Now, he has uh, basically, the Pharisees have accused him of being of Satan, that his power was of Satan. Verse 32 of Matthew 12, 
Uh, read this passage maybe at home for yourselves. Um, start about in verse 22 uh, through verse 37. But I'm just jumping in here. Verse, verse 32 says, And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, that would be me, Jesus speaking, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And there's a number of times that Jesus would have said, You're not blaspheming me. You're blaspheming the Holy Ghost, which is the power within me. Wow. This is Jesus. This is our model. This is our Savior. The impact of the Holy Spirit and the power within him is is outrageous. Turn back to Hebrews. How are you doing in your Bibles? Are they getting hot? Do we need to cool them down? Hebrews chapter 9. And let's look at verse 14. Hebrews, such a fantastic book. Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll look at verse 14. Now watch carefully. This, this is not the, usually when we read this verse, it isn't really exactly what we're looking for, but watch it. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, who is that? The Holy Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Taking the blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is how your sins are cleansed. You see the power of the Holy Spirit? Turn back with Romans chapter 1. You're starting to say, okay, Larry, I get it, I get it, I get it. That's okay. I'm not done getting it for you. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. We'll start in verse 1. Romans 1, 1. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of Christ. Of, I'm sorry, under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. How was it that he was attributed with power? How was it that he was raised from the dead? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys happy yet about the Holy Spirit working? <laughs> We're getting it, aren't we? Absolutely. Now, let's look at this. John chapter 14. Go there. John chapter 14. And verse 7. We're going to start in verse 15. Uh, this, is, this is a passage of Scripture that, that Jesus is speaking in regards to the Holy Spirit. But I want you to watch how it's spoken of. Uh, Chapter 14 of John and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's still valid for us today. If we love Jesus Christ, we need to keep and obey his commandments. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, speaking of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Watch verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You see, if you're without Christ, there's no way that you could have the Holy Spirit. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But watch this. But you know him, for he dwelleth, no, not in, with you, and shall be in you. Think of the time frame, get our context. Who spoke those words? Jesus Christ. Why would Jesus say that the Holy Spirit is with you? Because he's in Jesus Christ. And they were with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ is going, when he left in Acts chapter 1, 
guess what? Then the Holy Spirit was in them. Now, it was very difficult for the disciples to get excited about Jesus leaving their team, leaving their camp, leaving their town, leaving their country. They were not for that. I'm here to say today in the year 2020, Jesus knew ahead of time then as he would have today, that was an awesome thing to do for Jesus who was in the human form to be in the place of whomever could see or hear or touch or be with him to have transferred that to having the Holy Spirit in every single believer in Christ. Think of the power that you have at your disposal. You mean, you don't, it's not like you have to try to get something. If you've trusted Christ, this same Holy Spirit, this same power of God is within you. That's exactly right. And that's what chapter 8 about Romans is all about. It's all about the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. We should quit right here, shouldn't we? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. That's not so good. That means I need to shut down. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, normally he's with me to go on, but let me phrase it differently. Shall we go on? Yeah. There we go. All right. But I would say this. Let's... (laughs) I love it. I love it. Let's go back to Romans... Chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. And maybe what we're going to do, uh, literally what I was hoping to get to today was uh, the key to spiritual victory. And uh, you'll find it in verses 12 and 13. But um, I, think, I think what we're going to do is just for, the, for a number of moments yet and before us is just watching the Spirit and what He's done for us, even in the sense before we get to verses 12 and 13. Uh, we've noticed that the Spirit gives us life. There is no condemnation in verse 1, which we've read a number of times already, because of what the Holy Spirit has done. He has freed us in verse 2 from the power of the law of the... I'm sorry. He has freed us from the law of sin and death because Jesus Christ bore our penalty and the Holy Spirit has imputed that to our account. In verse 4, let's go to verse 4. It says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now, that would never have been possible, never been possible for us to literally engage in the righteousness of the law unless, unless the Holy Spirit, by His power, would, by imputation, have put Jesus Christ's righteousness in our account. Remember that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He took Christ's righteousness, put it in our account. That's how we're able to fulfill the law of righteousness. Not because we're all of a sudden good guys. No, it's because... In our account, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we were imputed Christ's righteousness. And on the inner man, which is talked about in Ephesians chapter 3, everything is brand new. Just contemplate that for a second. Do you see why when Paul is trying to say, put to death the old man? In fact, let's go back to Romans chapter 7. just popped in my mind. Uh, He's using uh, the marriage... Um, relationship to describe something. Let's go to back to Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Speaking up about the, the sense of sin or the flesh versus righteousness. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, 
how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, then she... To another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about marriage here? He's talking about the law of marriage. Okay, watch with me now. So when you were dead in trespasses and sins, you were locked in, you were slaves to the husband called sin. That's your husband. The flesh, the humanness, all of that makes that, that's bound up in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that's your husband. But guess what? Jesus Christ paid for you to get out from underneath the bondage of sin, and that husband literally now is crucified, is dead. So now you have a new husband, and his name is called the righteousness of Christ. Now, why would we want to go back to the old, dead husband? Does that analogy work for you? <laughs> that is exactly what Paul is trying to get across to us. It makes no sense. You have been liberated, you have been freed, and you have a brand new relationship. A brand new husband, if you will, called the righteousness of Christ. That's who you now are under. That's the one that you're, quote, married to. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. So why do we keep going back? Good question. Let's keep going. The Holy Spirit he frees us from the law of sin and death. It enables us to fulfill God's law. He also changes our nature. He transforms us. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, one of the, probably one of the very best passages in regards to leading someone to Christ and seeing. In fact, we'll even start in verse 1 of, of Ephesians so that you see in your scriptures where we've been using this verse numerous times today of being dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 1, chapter 2, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. What can a dead person do for themselves? Zero. Not a thing. Absolutely nothing. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the pro I'm sorry, woof, lost it. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, speaking of Satan and the evil that is amongst a society in which we find ourselves in, among whom also we all had our conversation or citizenship in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That sounds pretty dismal. How many of you depressed at this point? If you would have read that for the first time, you would just say, oh, where's a gun? I'm done. I got nothing, right? It's over. Look at this. I love the but gods in Scripture. Look at verse 4. I love this. In fact, I'm going to circle in my Bible. But God. He didn't owe us anything. But God, who is, oh, rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Oh, what a beautiful verse. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. To, in other words, we couldn't have done anything to get out of it. We have nothing to offer, nothing to give. When we were in that condition, he quickened or made us alive with Christ. By grace, you were saved. 
He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Just look at the, let's look at the difference in structure from the first three verses to where we are right now in that word grace. Aren't you excited? Not yet. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> that in ages to come, boy, this is a tough group. That in ages to come, verse 7, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Are you excited now? Amen. Amen. It's coming now. Now watch verse 8. This is the ones we always... We want to dial into verses 8 and 9. These are our favorite verses. But you see how kind and how full of grace and mercy it is in the verse 7 verses? But watch. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's exactly right. You're not saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. Not even the faith is of you. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. And we want to shut it off there. But look at this. This is beautiful. Because this is really the Holy Spirit transforming us. Because he says this. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That verse 10 is such a delight. After you're saved, verse 10 should be all about what you're up to. We are really the workmanship of the Holy Spirit. We are his masterpiece that he continues to unfold and to, to improve and to, and to literally just continue to build up, to edify, so that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. He's changing us from the inside. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's see, I'm going the wrong way. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Verse 17. Now, see, when he transforms us, when he changes our nature, again, this starts, if you think about the flesh, uh, I don't know if this works for you. It does for me. And it wasn't originally, I read it or saw it somewhere. But when you're, when you're a brand new creature, oh, let's read verse 17 first. See, I was going to get into this analogy. Um, let me find my glasses. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that awesome? So now let's think about it. But you still have the flesh. That's what Paul was talking about. You still now, in fact, the warring members are even more intense. I, and I'm going to say this. If you're a Christian, the potential to you have higher highs. In other words, if you have those relationships moments where it's just, oh, man, I'm really, really experiencing what God really wanted me to get out of that. You've had those, haven't you? Sure you have. You have, right? Okay. And it's, the, it's a high high which can never be achieved or experienced by a non-believer. But I'm going to say something else. You probably also have lower lows than a non-believer. Because your inner self knows the treachery of sin. And it can be harsh. A non-believer really, quite honestly, really does not get the danger the insidiousness or the ugliness of sin until you get saved. And then from the inside, because you're brand new. Now, that, that battle, that war that's going on between the flesh, the humanness, and that righteousness that's a brand new you, it's like having a clean you in dirty clothes. That works for me. It never quite goes away. And you say, well, let's just wash the clothes. Well, it starts from the inside, and you can put to death those sins. That's coming up maybe next week. But quite honestly, that dirty clothes, that humanness, that flesh, that nature that is infiltrated with it, it's not going to go away. 
Not on this side of heaven. But the Holy Spirit, aren't you glad the Holy Spirit lives within you and not outside that you have to go find him? I think that's so awesome. I can live with some dirty clothes for a while. Just give me the power on the inside. Right? That's exactly right. And we'll even appreciate them more. I think that's one of the things. Because part of us, we're just humans, right? And part of the flesh is we really can't understand, well, why wouldn't God just take it all away? You know what? In eternity, we will never appreciate God any more than to know what he ultimately does. For us to be reminded, even in this day, our inner man is living, being lived in by the Holy Spirit. And we still have the power over the penalty of sin and the power of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. But to know of what we could have been lost unto, that is the sin of this wicked world. To know that for these few short years, and it is, it really, for us, the time of period it takes for us to get old and to pass away in the sense of eternity. In fact, if you take a, if you take, you know, we haven't even used the board today, have we? What does that mean? Let's say we have a life expectancy and we have someone that was born in 1905 and he lives to 2010. What are those years represented by? Just that little dash. And you know what? In eternity's views, it's not even that much. So for me to use these years that God has given me, even moments, let's just talk moments. Sometimes it's moment by moment, isn't it? You, I mean, it's, it's overpowering. But you know what? Those moments when we're weak, that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, then I'm strong because I see who all of the power comes from. What if we would have nothing that's hindering us? Nothing and we would be on cloud nine all of the time. You know what we wouldn't appreciate? The power of the Holy Spirit. He's literally blessing us this just sounds fun, because I'm not like this on, on Monday through Friday or Saturday, right? I don't really appreciate trials, but you know what? It's the trials that really allow us to appreciate the power of the Holy Spirit. For those times when nothing is impossible with God, nothing is impossible with God. Here's Mary that has been told that she's going to be, as a virgin, bear a son called Jesus, the Messiah, and she accepts it because nothing is impossible. She believes him for exactly what that angel said. And when you have those Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, Thursdays, Tuesdays, that everything falls apart, aren't you glad to know that the power of the Holy Spirit lives within you? That is fabulous stuff. I have one more verse uh, here, and then, and then I'm going to just... Oh, you know there's only two kinds of people in the world? There's the saints... And there's the ain'ts. <laughs> I'm hoping you're one of the saints. Because the ain'ts just haven't found Jesus yet. <laughs> Let's go to Titus. I think it's Titus. Titus chapter 2. Let's go there for a moment. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Titus 2 verse 14. Just before Philemon. That's Titus chapter 2 verse 14. We'll start in verse 13. Titus 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's something that will happen to you when you trust Christ as Savior. You look for that blessed hope, that the ultimate unfolding, the ultimate coming of the glory that all is given by God. Verse 14. Or speaking of Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That's, that's, it's, it's his possession. Zealous of good works. See, he's changing the nature of who we are to becoming someone that is looking for Jesus Christ and looking to be his possession and looking to do all of the things that he desires for us to do in his workmanship. All of that is under the sense of transformation. Transformation. I think that's a good place for us to stop because the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit does is he literally is the key to spiritual victory. Next week, we're going to come back to that. The power of the Holy Spirit is the key to spiritual victory. Any questions or comments today? Taking that as a no, <laughs> let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We thank you for the word. We thank you as we're seeing unfold for these moments that we've been experienced, Father, the Holy Spirit teaching us, not only teaching us, and not only does he convict us of sin, not only does he lead us through the word of God to show us that we need a Savior, but Father, you've shown us the power that the Holy Spirit was in Jesus Christ. The strength, the power, the witnessing, the healing, all of those things, literally, Father, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he was risen from the dead, the part that you put a stamp of approval that that sacrifice was perfect for all time, in all conditions, if one would accept by faith that gift of grace I've given through the work that Jesus Christ has done, that resurrection was powered by the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to contemplate that in even these coming days and weeks, Father, to understand more fully. And that would be, obviously, as even the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to enhance our wisdom and our and strengthen our learning. Father, may we understand even more clearly the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we'll ask that uh, in this coming week that you would have all of us, that we would be focused and fixed on heaven's things, that we would be focused on you, Father, wanting to obey, to follow, and to be all that you want us to be. Father, we'll thank you for what you're going to accomplish. You are worthy of our praise, and we lift it to you. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.